0: Here. Captain! Signature's <laughs> detected! Shields
1: up! Signature's <laughs> detected! Context, South Beach Command. Co- context, South Beach Command. Relay that order. Context, South Beach Command. This is the captain! Co- context, South Beach Command. Get out of my chair! Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
2: Klingons. Welcome to the Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam it's good to see you alive, sent you a wellness check the other night, because I was partying my ass off, and I was worried that you were not. You were at the same party as me, I just didn't see you the whole night. We uh, we
0: went to a conference, mm-hmm. Ben, one of the most dangerous things you can do in Star Trek we did in real life. We went yeah. to the, the Maximum Fun Conference, mm-hmm. is its full name.
2: Yeah, the Ultimate Maximum Fun Conference. And we came back alive.
0: Yeah. And, and kind of the, I would call it the centerpiece event of the whole thing is the party, right? The Dan Deacon dance party, the D-D-D-P. Yeah. <laughs> the triple DP. Uh-huh. I mean, it's an amount of DP that is a surprising amount for anything associated with Max Fun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were both at the same party, but it was a big party. and uh, it was a big party. I saw you, and you didn't see me. I was kind of dealing with some strange bouts of anxiety at the time. No way. Yeah, I was like, I think one of the great regrets of our tour was that we weren't able to really spend a lot of time with our friends of DeSoto in all the cities that, that we usually like to do. We usually like to hang back after, maybe do a little yeah. partying before on an off day or whatever. But this really felt like the first time being in a large number of people, like mixed company style. Yeah, where I was really feeling it. So, uh, with the help of a gummy and uh, and some (laughs) drinking, drugs
1: can make you feel good.
0: I was made comfortable, and also like the companionship of some great friends of Desoto all around. They were big fun. Yeah, what happened to me at that party specifically was I would get in the drink line, and the drink line was like ten people long. I don't want to throw too much shade on the gentle, beautiful souls that comprise the attendees at (laughs) MaxFunCon, but don't get up to the front of the bar line and ask for the 10 ingredient drink. (laughs) I saw way too many fucking crazy drinks coming out of the front of
2: that bar. Oh man, they weren't ordering off the signature cocktail menu? Didn't look that way to me. A lot of milk-based
0: beverages too. I got to say, like a ton, of, ton of dairy drinks. <laughs> this would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the
1: old ultraviolence.
0: Anyway, I would get in this line and then I'd be like, fuck it, man. I'm going back to the cabin where me and Ben have a bunch of liquor, which is right <laughs> next door. So yeah. I would pop out, go next door, fill up my cup, come back, hang out with another group. Yeah. Pop out when my drink was done, get another drink, <laughs> come out and, and do that. That was kind of my rinse and repeat for... Almost two hours until I, I went to bed around midnight. Wow. Man. But you were a, a social butterfly. You were all over the place. You were in a different spot every time I saw you.
2: Well, the dance floor drew the majority of my attention, which was a lot of fun. And I uh, I was really appreciative that people were staying masked up inside. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, the, the real challenge for me was that for some reason, I decided as a bit at the beginning of the night that I just wasn't going to put a glass down if I finished a drink. Uh-huh. All I do is... Spits, spits, spits. This started with a glass that just had water in it, but pretty soon I had like six or seven glasses in one arm and then, you know, one remainder in in my left hand that, you know, was an active drink. And it was really amusing me, but it, I think it was setting some people off, like, hey, man, can I help you with that stuff? <laughs> and... Is it a bit if no one else knows it? It was just, it was for my own amusement, but the thing I realized- I think
0: the answer is yes, is what I'm
2: saying. I think so, yeah. But the thing I realized as I was putting them all down finally uh, at the end of the dance party portion of the proceedings.
0: Were you dancing on the dance floor carrying the glasses?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Were you wet? Were you
0: wettened by the condensation or whatever?
2: a tiny bit but uh not not so much so that it was causing a problem uh-huh. but when i put them all down i was like i i can count exactly i know which of these were buffers i know how many actual drinks i've had uh-huh like i've never left a party knowing how many actual drinks i had wow
0: <laughs> i only saw you when you had a couple in your arms so yeah. so what was the count by
2: the end of it i think my final count was 8 but three of them were buffers, and I felt like that was a pretty good ratio. It is a good ratio. The water is going to save you, especially when you're having a
0: bunch of milk cocktails.
2: Which is what we were drinking. <laughs> you know, the bartender was one person that did appreciate the bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. He offered to to unburden me, and then I, uh, I said, no, nah, no, nah, that's cool, man. And, and I, uh, you know, ordered a buffer drink. They had a buffer drink right there on the signature drink menu, which I thought was really cool.
0: Did you ever hear what planet the bartenders came from?
2: No, they were really beautiful.
0: I was just going to say, I don't think it's speaking out of school at all to say that they were extraordinarily beautiful bartenders at yeah. at Max One Con this year, to a distracting extent.
2: Yeah. They seemed like they might be a couple also, because mm-hmm. they kind of stuck together the whole time. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you in that group? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, for a time, that was a strategy for you and me.
2: Yeah. All these not 10 out of 10s need to stay away from us.
0: Yeah. You and me, Lake Arrowhead 4s. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> at best. 4 is good. 4 will relocate your house fairly efficiently.
0: <laughs> I don't know, do you get better looking in the higher altitude? A, a high altitude, low oxygen environment? I bet you yeah, do. That's what happened. We got up
2: to 4. We got yeah. all the way up to 4. Lofty heights for you and me.
0: The Paris BLT effect on our other yeah. hit podcast. Am I making any sense
1: here?
2: It was a great fun event. We taught a, a, a cocktail class
0: together. Oh, you taught it. I was the teacher's assistant. You did a great job once again.
2: Well, wow. you can't uh, you can't teach people how to drink without a little TNA. <laughs> I was filling the enormous shoes of Chris Bowman. Yeah. The
0: usual teaching assistant on that class.
2: And we had just a great time uh, hanging with friends of DeSoto. We we talked to a lot of people who enjoy the show, and uh, it was really fun to just like get lunch with Folks that laugh at the same crap we laugh at, you know?
0: Miriam Frenza DeSoto at Max FunCon this year. It felt like more than ever.
2: Yeah, we saw a lot of uh, Greatest Gen t shirts. We saw yeah. a drunk Shimoda shirt. We saw a Kern shirt. We saw a The Warrior, The Legends shirt. I remember seeing a couple of those, which. I definitely
0: would have bet against.
2: <laughs> yeah, that might be the highest concentration of Warrior the Legends shirts that have ever been in one place at a time.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty great, pretty great hang. Uh, the last one, from what we hear.
2: Yeah, at the very end, um, Nick White, the former editor of Bullseye, and I got up and presented Jesse with a little uh, a little memento commemorating the. I think there were. 14 or 15 Max Funcon Wests and at least a few Easts and um you know it's been a big part of my life for the last 15 or so years going really to has. Max Funcon and and you've been to a lot of them as well It's true and um it was really touching to commemorate the end of a good thing you know all good things and uh This was no exception.
0: It really made me feel good feelings about Jesse again, who moments before had uh, smashed my nuts (laughs) (laughs) when he pulled you up on stage for a segment on live Jordan Jesse go at At me (laughs) me, is how he did it. (laughs) (laughs) He <laughs> <It> really did. <laughs> Total bastard move by, by Jesse there.
2: <laughs> well, I was I was sitting on the aisle. You had the seat, uh, you know, over uh-huh. toward the wall, so it's just easier for me to get up there. Guess so.
0: Yeah. But he didn't have to throw it in my face like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm with you, man. Long live Max von Kahn. Yeah. Uh, it will
2: be missed. True. Do you want to get into today's episode of Strange New Worlds, Monfrere?
0: Yeah, I think I do. Uh, boy, speaking of places uh, without suffering, I wasn't <laughs> feeling too much at Max FunCon for most of it. Let's see how people feel about Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 6. Lift us where suffering cannot reach.
2: Did you see this new, like, Star Trek logo at the beginning of this? <laughs> Is that going to be like the NFL shield
0: that appears that says uh, any reproduction or rebroadcast without <laughs> the express written consent of Paramount Plus is prohibited? Like, that,
2: that's sort of what it felt like. It did kind of feel like that. Yeah, I uh, i thought it was also just kind of a strange thing that it seems to have been introduced. I guess I don't actually know. Maybe they've been playing this on the, on the app and I've only seen screeners, but uh, it was the first I'd seen of it. So it stuck out to me. Should I check to see if they're playing it on the app right now?
0: Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to make podcast history right here on videotape as Ben turns on his television during the show.
2: We're going to see what happens when a normie (laughs) watches Strange New Worlds.
0: Everyone watching the stream will see over Ben's left shoulder.
2: He's uh, using his Apple TV, his Applet V. So we get the Paramount Plus logo when you launch the app. Uh Uh-huh. You don't get the Star Trek logo there. No. Ooh, I wonder if they're playing it before episodes of Voyager also.
0: I watched an episode of Voyager just today and it did not happen.
2: Didn't happen, okay. So should I just put the first episode of Strange New Worlds and see what happens? Do it. All right. Okay, we got Paramount Plus logo. Uh Uh-huh. This is a Paramount Plus original. Yeah, it's doing the thing!
0: Yeah! What the hell? How about that? Nobody
2: told us about this!
0: It's the new thing!
2: (laughs) I guess so, yeah. I haven't fired it up on the actual app because we've been getting the screeners.
0: Yeah. Also, the app is terrible.
2: Yeah, the screener app, notably better interface than the, you know, user-facing version. I love how the screeners like, "Hey, do you want to be logged in for the next
0: thirty days?" And I'm every time checking that box to say yes. I do. Yes, I would, I would like, like that. to
2: be logged in for thirty days. And every fucking time, I have to log in. <laughs> hey, well, uh, edit that out, whoever's editing this episode. Yeah, we think that the screener app is great, and the Paramount Plus app is even better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, Ben. You are correct, and as I hold up this newspaper showing today's date, I also want to say that I am being treated well.
2: What's that rhythmic blinking you're doing, Adam?
0: (laughs) Are you hearing any rhythmic hammering that happens to be uh, going on outside my window?
2: Yeah, what's going on out there? Some fucking...
0: Well, we've set up shop next to a noted podcaster's home, where we will be disrupting the recording all
2: afternoon. This episode opens with Ahura and Pike on a turbo lift, heading to work. Ahura, sore from combat training. She's doing a rotation in the security team. Any Jim Shimoda will tell you, you got to
0: stretch, Ahura. Yeah. got to stretch out those shoulders, especially. Yeah. Maybe you get in the wall of the turbo lift and you kind of put a hand on a wall and then kind of oh, rotate yeah. your body, kind of open it up a little bit,
2: mm, you know? Yeah. Open that heart chakra. Yeah. <laughs> we played uh, softball in the morning at Max FunCon. I'm still a little sore off of that softball game, which is very embarrassing to me. I'm really glad you brought it up to the
0: hitter of the winning home run.
2: It's time to play a little softball. Mm.
0: This guy over here. Mm. It didn't make my calves any less sore the next day, though. That, <laughs> that like quick twitch energy is a totally different kind of strength than I'm used to
2: using. How many times did you come home in the game?
0: Oh, you mean uh, like leaving to go get another drink and then going back to the game? Is that how you mean that question? <laughs> no, I mean like how many
2: times did, I did score? you round the bases? Yeah.
0: Oh, I don't know. I think as I remember it, I went three for four. Wow, pretty good. And I think I touched home place a couple of times. Home yeah. place is what you call it in softball. <laughs> There's no place like home.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I got two
0: touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that game was
2: fun. It was really fun. Uh, it was a good game. And you were good, man. You were batting from both sides. I was, yeah. You're, you were an AMBA batter. I'm a switch hitter. I got on base both righty and lefty. Yeah. I. Uh,
0: That's a more impressive feat than my home run, I think.
2: Yeah,
1: he swings both ways.
2: I barehand fielded a ball, which was really exciting until I didn't get it to first base to cut off the runner. <laughs>
0: it feels like if you haven't played softball for a long time, the batting... Comes to you faster than the fielding.
2: Yeah, totally. Because fielding is about instincts and like yeah. remembering where people are relative to you and stuff. Yeah. Anyways,
0: everyone knows this. We're not telling anyone anything they don't already know.
2: Friends of Desoto are just like screaming at their podcast. Get to the fucking episode. Isn't it weird and fun to play sports? <laughs> the system that they're in, the Magellan system, is a place that Pike has a little bit of history. He. Did a, uh, a rescue mission here 10 years ago, rescued somebody from a pulsar. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit of uh, history. He's not usually rescuing people from
0: uh, rhythmic things, he's usually the one doling them out, right?
2: Mm. <laughs> what do you think about the fact that Pike has an impression of Lieutenant Nunyan Singh also? I love it. A Rigelian tiger pounces with no warning. I mean, I feel like that is a really risky territory to tread if you are a superior officer. Sure.
0: There's like a... I think what you're getting at is the power disparity there between them.
2: But also... uh, If the doors to the turbo lift open a little bit early, somebody's feelings are going to get really badly hurt. Yeah.
0: La'an doesn't display many feelings or hasn't yet. Yeah. And I imagine she would just haul off and kick Pike's ass yeah. if she were upset by anything.
2: Her two emotions are neutral and roundhouse.
0: Yeah. So in what direction is the power flowing in that relationship? <laughs> I think is the question. Remains yeah. to be seen.
2: Anyways, they get up there, Ohura gets hazed a little bit, and then they're like suddenly in a a rescue situation. Two ships are are scrapping. One is getting shot at and has like grapples being attached to it. Pike gets on the blower and explains to the attacking ship, like, hey, listen, I don't know what you guys are set tripping about, but those guys asked for help and I am obliged to provide it. So maybe knock it off with your grapples. We meet a new character in this scene. I'm almost positive
0: we haven't seen Ensign Shocker before. Henson Shocker is working a Huris station while she's off learning security and tactical. And uh, Shocker moves his three-fingered hands around <laughs> until he's able to make the hail happen for Pike.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the buttons on the bridge of the Enterprise famously unlabeled. So you have to come up with mnemonics to remember, like, two on the pink buttons uh. and one on the stink button.
1: Yeah.
0: No response, sir. Yeah, it's too bad. Ensign Shocker drives around a shuttle with a sticker that tells everyone he's into not great stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah.
2: Which is strange to see paired with a Calvin praying sticker. <laughs> this is a fun moment because Pike's
0: like, hey guys, cut it out. And like a teacher stopping two kids from scrapping on a playground, they'd start punching the teacher. <laughs> But because these are little kids, uh, the little punches don't do anything to the Enterprise. And so Pike is like, hey, can you do that thing where you shoot them, but without hurting them? And when Ahura targets the ship's phasers at the grapple hook ship,
2: it yelps like a dog. (laughs) Did you get this weird sound? I did, yeah. There's like a jerk from like the extremely whack phasers on this ship Mm -hmm. still have a ton of recoil, I think. Yeah. So it like jerks itself into a more dangerous path and takes a much harder hit. I was just yelling at the screen, like maybe don't put the cadet that doesn't have a lot of combat experience on the phasers when you're doing something really delicate like this.
0: Yeah, that's true. Pike's management style is not necessarily putting people in positions to succeed. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, like throwing a baby in a swimming pool. Yeah. I've heard they swim naturally. <laughs>
2: So the one ship starts kind of descending toward the surface of the moon and the ship that asked for their help is asking to be beamed aboard because their life support is failing. I also thought it was a little weird that they didn't like grapple or tractor the crashing ship before it crashed.
0: Yeah, it's hanging all this grapple. It seems totally plausible that that you could snag one of those guys.
2: Yeah. I don't know why they didn't. They're, They're just like, All right, well, we'll go meet our guests who are about to beam over. I'll
0: tell you why, Ben. Not useful for the story.
2: (laughs) So down in the transporter bay, a trio of aliens beam aboard and Pike actually knows one of them.
1: Lieutenant Pike?
2: Allura? Pike's got a face
0: here. Pike is nostalgically smitten.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Allura, this, uh, red-haired lady uh, with some kind of side of eye loaf. Can I tell you that I started calling her, uh, Laura in my
0: notes? Because that's sort of how Pike <laughs> pronounces it, because he's so nervous and smitten.
2: Uh, Laura and I met years ago. <laughs> I think that's what we'll call her going forward. Uh-huh. He's really tongue-tied with her. Like, yeah. He is like me talking to a girl in middle school tongue-tied.
0: That kind of crushing where you can hardly be proud of what you do or where you're from or anything at all about you. Like, he can barely tell her that he's the captain of the ship.
1: Because I'm um, a captain,
0: so...
2: Yeah, he's wearing a gold shirt, for Christ's sakes. He can't even... Yeah. He has no confidence in the presence of this woman.
0: The previous five episodes, I think, load up Una's line here with some weight that ordinarily, I think if you were just popping into this episode, you'd see like, oh yeah, number one, running interference, good job, like being the professional. <laughs> but I feel like she kind of does this at Pike in a way that I think you'd only really appreciate if you'd watched all the eps up until now. they got a real fun relationship.
1: Allow me to take you to the ready room to debrief.
0: And she chooses not to
2: smash his nuts publicly, like she just allows this awkwardness to happen and that's sufficient. Rebecca Romain does so much nonverbal acting in this scene that is really fun like yeah i love the way that they frame this too like she's right in the center of it while pike mm-hmm. and uh laura are having their conversation so <laughs> you can just enjoy watching una take this all in and and do the math on what's going on between these two
0: is una the only character wearing a gold uniform with the black i want to say gussets, but that's not the part of the tunic, right? Like under the
2: armpits. Oh, the side part. Yeah. I don't know what that's called. It seems to be a unique version of the uniform. It looks a little bit like the scant from TNG. Right.
0: Yeah. After the theme, we learn how far back Pike and uh, Laura go. 10 years is the answer. Yeah. We also meet her companions on the transporter pad. We've got an elder Kamal and a boy, a holy
1: figure. My son. Chosen at birth
0: by Laden. And this elder is acting very awkwardly around the child, and he describes himself as his father in strictly the biological sense.
2: Pike is like, cool, so you don't pay child support. Interesting. <laughs> Good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's funny how a term like that kind of frames a person as a dirtbag. <laughs> does.
2: Yeah. That guy you're immediately suspicious of.
0: Yeah. One father you're not suspicious of at all is in Six Bay. Mabenga is reading to his daughter. Yeah. And God damn it, he's crossed up the chapters again. He
1: just read me the same exact
0: chapter twice in a row. Yeah, Dad, God. I
2: thought about this when we heard that he was like beaming her out of the buffer only periodically and always reading a storybook to her. I was like, I guarantee that dude is rereading parts of that book. That he didn't realize he just did. Hey, Mabenga, I use a bookmark. (laughs) It's revolutionary. What's going on over there? Is a 16th century invention too good for the
0: 23rd century? I mean, if you don't have a bookmark and you own the book, I guess you could
2: dog ear one of the pages just as good. Yeah. Yeah. Re-replicate it to get it nice, like yeah. that gum from the other episode. That's right. He's got his daughter and one book in the pattern buffer, so that he can <laughs> he can unfuck it when he's done reading it to her. <laughs> if you're checking
0: out books from the replicator library, do you think it's easier to just uh, materialize the book with just the chapter you're on?
2: Um. Oh, oh, like-
0: As if you tore out the chapters you'd already read.
2: Yeah, there was a kid in my college who would would break the chapters of textbooks up and then like rebind them so that he didn't have to carry all the heavy books in his bag. Oh, God. And I was like, that's like a $95 book. You, you're not going to be able to return it now. <laughs> Don't say
0: his name. I bet it would be familiar to anyone who watches the news. <laughs> <laughs> He always introduced himself using three names?
2: Yeah, it was weird. Uh, <laughs> this is a bummer because... Uh, Dude, I figured it out. I know why he lost track. She beams out on a timer. He, it probably beams the book out too. So he loses his space. He doesn't have time to put a bookmark in when it's mid-transport. But in this scene,
0: is the book open in his hands and wouldn't it rematerialize? No, it's a... It's... <laughs> uh, Yeah, in Strange New Worlds, season one, episode six, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. I almost didn't need to say the title. I think we all know what the title is here, right? Because we all bought tickets to a Star Trek convention. Everybody has that memorized, yeah. Anyway, I take great umbrage with the (laughs) show not depicting how the book looks, when Mabenga's daughter is beamed away into the pattern buffer, what happens to that book? Is it put into the buffer closed? Is it put in open? Does Mabenga have to put it up on his bookshelf with his medical titles? I will take your answer off the air. Get a light.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she beams away. Mabenga gets called out to look at this uh, kid, and we cut up to kind of an after action interrogation of uh, Laura who is explaining that these attackers were trying to kidnap that little boy and get a ransom. The little boy, extremely important to the society of Magellus, and uh, they would literally pay anything to get him back. Yeah. And Pike is like, anything?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds pretty smart by the other guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. Big payday for them. She can point a finger at an alien colony that's... She describes it as long abandoned, which I guess means cut off from other people. Uh, (laughs) I mean, spoiler alert, it's them, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) describing it as an abandoned colony kind of maybe felt like a little bit of a tipping of her hand.
0: Right. In an episode where there are quite a few hand tips and quite a lot of deception, right? Like I think the deception begins earlier in the episode, but at this table- Feel like when you call something science service sacrifice you're I mean that is a elegant way to cover up something strangely non-scientific and <laughs> religious seeming by the end of it you know
2: Yeah how big of a sacrifice are we talking about
0: <laughs> Yeah are we talking about the sort of sacrifice where there's an altar involved or just like you kind of do work for a number of hours every week until yeah. you get credit
2: With the three S's, are they all the same size of font or is one of them like really big compared to the other two?
0: Can I just propose maybe the logo of Science Service Sacrifice are like three cool S's and kind of a triangle? (laughs) Wow, tight. (laughs) This is not a meeting that goes particularly well because they're sort of at investigation heads. (laughs) Because uh, Laura is like, you don't have to investigate the crash ship. It's fine. We got this big ceremony to attend. So it's not a big deal that you uh, go down there and check it out. And Una and Pike are like, actually, that's what we do here. An investigation
1: is not only necessary, it is required.
2: If somebody comes out and licks shots at us, we are honor bound and code bound to check it out. And so she says, well, if you really must, I'm going to go on the investigation along with you.
0: I really love how elastic the idea is of the, I want to call them the Magellans, but I don't feel like that's what they
2: call themselves, right? It's the Magellan system, but the planet is Magellus. Right. So yeah, I don't know what they call themselves.
0: Anyway, this idea of them not being Federation citizens is a really elastic concept because it allows uh, Laura to talk pretty frankly about what she does and doesn't want these people from the Federation to do. And it also allows her to participate in Federation stuff like this investigation, where I think ordinarily Pike could be like, you're not invited. (laughs) Like, you must stay away.
2: Yeah, there is a diplomatic element to the way that they are interacting. Right. They don't need to
0: obey each other.
2: Right. Given their
0: relationship.
2: Down in Six Bay, they are working on this little boy who we've come to know as the first servant. And Nurse Chapel and Mabenga are kind of working on him while Elder Kamal stands by and just like absolutely drags the state of their medical technology. Red beds? Red beds? Really? (laughs) That's not surprising considering the state of the sabatoires. I'd be thinking the same thing. He accuses them of dealing in medievalism. Thank God, what is this, the Dark Ages? Yeah. He does not want them to use their, their scalpels on the boy. Instead, he just wants to scan him and, and leave it at that. Nothing beyond scanning can be done. And he explains that this kid has quantum bio implants. He has
1: quantum bio implants?
0: Was it your understanding that these implants were the thing that gave the first servant the Haley Joel Osment affected intelligence vibe or did the kid have that before the implants and that's just what made him special
2: i think that it's implied that the implants are healing him and also play some role in the thing that happens to the kid later i i'm not going to jump to the end too
0: much but i wanted to know so much more yeah about this technology and how it affected him and how the technology functioned later We don't know anything really in this scene, and we don't really end up knowing much by the end. Our founders designed it that
1: way. We don't know why.
2: Yeah, like their technology is super advanced, and Federation medicine seems very primitive to them. But Elder Kamal explains to the doctor, like, hey, yeah, no, we come from a planet that doesn't have disease. So this abattoir we're in seems like a real freak show to me. And Mabenga's like, no disease, you say? Yeah, I am interested in your ideas and would like to subscribe to your newsletter.
0: We learned a couple of episodes ago that Mabenga is basically in Starfleet to look for a cure for his daughter's disease. And he's got that energy where like every time you bring your friend around a new lady who's single, they like just are so thirsty, like throwing themselves (laughs) at the new person. Like this is Mabenga's energy anytime there's someone who may have a cure for his daughter, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's thirsty for that cure. A little bit more understandable in his case than in your weird single friend's
0: case. (laughs) Yeah.
2: The Magellan
0: have no disease. No disease. Is what Elder Kamal says. Wow. 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 It seems like uh, maybe if you're the Federation, you Mm. should probably fast track this planet into membership, right? Because
2: wouldn't that be pretty valuable? Yeah. What can we do to put you in a Federation today?
0: There was an entire Star Trek The Next Generation movie about a fountain of youth planet, and there it sits. (laughs) Well, of
2: course I'm tempted. Who wouldn't be? Go on this away mission on a moon known only as Lockerbie. (laughs) 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 Should I feel bad for
0: laughing about that?
2: Yeah, it's your bad thing, not mine. (laughs) Oh, no. I really like this camera move where you start in the hallway of the ship and they are cutting a hole open in the door. And then you realize that the ship has landed sideways. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be walking in along the walls. And it's La'ana and Ahura that go in first to clear the space of danger. And Ahura has a little bit of a fuck up here. She's like going to touch a panel and... At this point in the episode, uh, the first time through, when La'an said the thing about there's Klingon ships that are like rigged to blow if you touch anything, I was like, this is a Klingon ship? What?
0: Yeah, that was momentarily confusing.
2: <laughs> I did not pick up on this being not a Klingon ship for a long time. Uh-huh. I feel dumb.
0: Well, I mean, La'an makes Ahura feel dumb for touching anything. Yeah. Because one of the rules of a way team is let the tricorder do the talking.
2: Yeah. So once they've uh, scanned everything and make sure it's all clear, they invite in Spock and uh, Laura, who start kicking through the debris. Spock finds one of those head massagers from SkyMall catalog. The kind that that give you the tingles, Mm -hmm. the scalp tingler. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Laura finds a challenge coin that has been scraped up. Yeah. And let me just say, we've sold a lot of challenge coins on tour. And if any friend of DeSoto has fucked up their challenge coin, you're out. To deface a sacred symbol is forbidden. (laughs) If you scraped it up, you're not part of the thing anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we have rules about the coins.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She explains that this is like the honor guard of the first servant get this coin. There's only a few people that get this coin. It's very, very elite people in their military and to deface it is a big deal and nobody's like well the ship did crash should we consider the possibility that was defaced just as a part of being (laughs) a starship falling out of space onto the surface of planet lockerby
0: there are a number of girders strewn about (laughs) one could presume that a girder (laughs) struck the coin yeah no one says that no what Uh, Laura does say is that because the coin was found at the crash site, she's pretty sure that someone involved with the kidnapping is close to her, which puts her in great danger.
2: It's an inside job.
0: Yeah, but it's complicated, right? Because while Pike wants to rush in and protect, he can't do it officially. So what Pike proposes is kind of a Friends with the Federation with Benefits arrangement. (laughs) (laughs) And this is something that uh, Laura seems pretty into. We can have friends, right?
2: Yeah, she's like, that could work. You could come down to the planet. Yeah. And on the planet... The planet looks just like Naboo, Adam. What is going on here? (laughs) It is a very steel drum
0: band-centric
2: Cloud City motif. It's a, it's all these, like, oldie-timey-looking buildings that are floating in the air, but then have these, like, golden tendrils leading down to a lava planet surface.
0: Hey, man, if you don't want me to get a whiff of, uh, of antebellum vibes, <laughs> maybe not give a Laura, like, a house servant like this. Yeah,
2: yeah it does really feel... <laughs> waited yeah. To see this house servant.
0: Are we supposed to see it this way? I
2: don't know. Like, I wonder if that's just like a misfire in casting for diversity. Like, good casting directors are always pushing the producers and directors of their productions to consider, you know, people that are not what has been the default mm-hmm. in Hollywood for a million years, which is just like great looking cisgendered white people. Uh-huh. And... I wonder if this is just a misfire. Like, hey, let's give this actress a part in the thing. And because Pike and uh, Laura are super white and she isn't, it reads weird.
0: I think that's what's going to give us a chance of being blown at an airlock eventually is uh, you get a couple <laughs> of Lake Arrowhead fours on screen
2: mm-hmm. yeah, with
0: minimal loaf. All
2: anybody's going to want is for those guys to go into space.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So Laura in the scene is like, I'm going to get my honor guard together and I'm going to do a coin check.
2: Ready to shake the
1: train and see what falls out? Yeah. Present your coins. We're
2: going to do a coin check and uh, the camera swings down to the holster at Pike's side and he unbuttons the little gunkeeper strap. Yeah. Like he's going to fast draw on one of these guys.
0: The camera move here is really fun. Yeah. I think.
2: Good. Yeah. Up on the ship in six bay, Spock shows up and he's like, "Hey, Kamal, can I talk to you?" Not quite out of earshot of the first servant.
0: Kids are great at just sitting still with nothing to occupy them. They definitely wouldn't be listening in on your conversation. And Kamal's
2: like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, man. What's up? What's up?" And uh, he's like, "Have you ever looked at the Hamaker Schlemmer catalog, <laughs> Elder Kamal?" <laughs>
1: Since 1848, the first, the best, the only Hummucker Schlemmer. Star Trek 4, EMEF.
2: What he's brought in is a Tupperware with the head massager in it, and uh, he describes it as being kid-sized and something that seems to be designed to mute that quantum implant in the kid's head. For sale, kid
0: scalp massager, never used. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so tragic.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not something that Kamal can say he's ever seen, so he doesn't no. really know what's up with it.
0: The first servant is just aggressively precocious here with Spock yeah. in a way that like, you could get the sense that Spock and maybe all Vulcans would have a pretty low amount of patience for precocious kids. <laughs> but because of what this kid is into, Spock is into talking to the kid quite a bit. He's yeah. impressed by him.
2: The kid is a ham radio nerd, yeah, and Spock is too, so yeah. they uh, they get along talking about that. And right now, my only outlet is my ham radio. The first servant wanted to have a transgalactic pen pal, mm-hmm. but hasn't actually accomplished that.
0: Yeah, no Sarjanka is out there. For him to talk to. She has
1: to be the person she was born to be.
2: Yeah. nobody has long enough fingers. Yeah, to box with the. <laughs> First servant. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm saying. I mean.
1: I don't know what I'm saying.
0: Ensign Shocker might have long enough fingers. <laughs>
2: Not far enough away. Yeah. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with Their new Signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many
0: meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner... In exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off.
1: Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by
2: searching for the word secretly in your podcast app.
1: And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is
2: going on? Down on the planet... Uh, Laura is doing her inspection they made such a big deal about Pike getting his gun ready so that it would be ready when they unmasked the baddie and when they do unmask the baddie he just stands there with his jaw down (laughs) I was like stun him stun this man this scene is so kinetic and fun but the logic
0: of it doesn't make a lot of sense you're right because he could be stopped right there instead he's turned loose to just hit people with his staff, shoot people with the staff. And then when he rounds a hedgerow, Pike is seen from like 20 yards away taking a flying tackle at him. This is a guy that's hit and shot a bunch of people with that staff. Why wouldn't he do the same to Pike?
2: I don't get it. And I don't get why he's like so much tougher than all the other palace guards. Like, Why is he able to dominate the rest of them in this way? And then also like, He runs out. We see, like, this amazing top-down perspective of the Mm -hmm. planet with all the, like, lava flowing and stuff underneath them. They cut him off. But in the scene where, like, they go to cut him off, there's a big pan down of a shuttle coming in overhead, which I thought for sure meant that that shuttle was, like, his pickup and there were going to be more bad guys coming. But it's just a transition shuttle. That shuttle has nothing to do with it. It just happened to be flying by.
0: (laughs) It busts up the action sequence. Yeah. Hey... Also, guys, if you're going to have a fight scene at the upper level of a planet on which there's lava below, you got to throw the guy off of the top part into the lava at the bottom at some point, right? (gasps) This is Chekhov's lava. You got to tell him he was supposed to be the chosen one. (laughs) (laughs) Pike does not tell this guy that he has had enough of him.
2: No. It's too bad. Yeah. He also... Tells the guy that he's ready to kill him. He's got his phaser set to not stun. Why wouldn't you have it set to stun? What's the downside of having it set to stun? I think this is another example of this being a
0: non-Federation member world and Pike (laughs) knowing he can get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, Pike.
2: (laughs) This guard winds up grabbing a Laura and getting a knife to her neck and she also unlike the rest of the honor guard, is able to overpower him and gets a knife into his heart.
0: Turns out they're better off without this honor guard, given how shitty he is at executing someone who he has in the grasp. (laughs) No kidding. This guy, uh, before dying, has some interesting thoughts about his job and place of work, right?
1: To renounce everything this floating house stands
0: for. Yeah. Hey, honor guard, if you hated your job so much, why didn't you just quit? Why didn't
2: you resign in protest?
0: I mean, that's the thing about Magellan. He probably went into debt going to honor guard school. Right. And then he became kind of a servant to that debt.
2: And uh Laura like implied a lot in the campaign that she was gonna forgive student yeah. debt, and then it's like, eh, maybe like a tiny, tiny amount of it, but yeah. not a lot.
0: But only for people who went to some other weird college and not honor guard <laughs> college. <laughs>
2: up on the Enterprise in the mess hall. Are we calling this 10 forward or what? I'm not sure. I guess we don't know what deck it's on.
0: We don't, so I kind of don't want to give it the stolen deck valor of yeah. that until we know for sure. Remember George Kirk at him?
2: Careful, cadet. Remember to chew.
0: Is Kirk flirting with the hurrah or is he shit-talking? I have a hard time telling the difference. <laughs> In a way that should surprise no one who knows me.
2: Yeah, that's why people don't like to invite you to parties, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> or gifts around. Yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite sure. I, I feel like whatever gambit he was trying, uh, he didn't get to like fully execute on because he gets interrupted by Lieutenant Nunyan Singh, who shows up with a bucket full of computer chips from the crashed ship and gives them to O'Hara. And she's like, hey, you're good with languages. Translate all this crap.
0: It's kind of an off-the-book situation, right? Yeah. Because is like, hey, uh, why aren't those in the evidence locker? And La'an's like, never checked them in. This is how you get shit done on the ship. Uh, if you don't yeah. check things into the computer, you can give yourself a, a nice workaround here.
1: Lesson six of security, know when to bend the rules.
2: La'an is kind of the Harry Bosch of Star Trek and, uh, you know. There are rules, and uh, sometimes lawn follows them, but when it suits her, she does not. I used to have a hairy bosh, but then I got mad-scooped. <laughs> <laughs> Beep that out. They don't sponsor us anymore.
0: Back in Six Bay, the first servant has made a complete recovery, which really shouldn't surprise anyone, given his implants, right?
2: Yeah. Those implants, though.
0: <laughs> but is like, hey, what are you doing later? You want to hang out, talk about what these implants could maybe do for someone with my daughter's condition?
2: And Kamal's like, "Mm, I'm busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is such a hurtful way to answer Mabenga's question because Kamal's like, yeah, this would work on anyone in any condition. It would just cure them immediately. But because we aren't a member world, uh, no dice.
2: Yeah. We don't share our technology. I mean, like, it's interesting how asymmetrical the technological advancements are, right? Like, the Federation starship seems like it is way better than anything that the folks from the Magellan system can wield. Better weapons, better a lot of things, but their medicine is just stone age compared to what Kamala's used to.
0: If we knew Mabenga less, or not at all, I think... Both of us would suspect that Elder Kamal would be in great danger here, right? Because what wouldn't a desperate person do to save the life of their child? But I think we've had five episodes giving us little glimpses of Mabenga's goodness, his inherent goodness. Yeah. Even though he covered up the idea of his daughter being in the pattern buffer. But he's
2: like a gentle soul. Like It was really hard for him to talk to Hemmer when Hemmer was messing with the thing.
0: That's what I'm saying. I think it's kind of a magic trick that like, I think a lot of shows would load up the scene with, uh uh-oh, is Mabenga going for a scalpel? Like, like what's going to happen here? You called this place an abattoir, and now this... It's funny, like, there's desperation and then there's, like, the threshold of desperation that, that veers into, like, real danger for other people. Right. Never get that feeling here. Yeah. Or the entire episode, really.
2: You don't. Down on the planet, you do get a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Which is that uh, Laura wants that booty, wants to get Pike out of that gold shirt. I love how this scene is blocked,
0: right? Because this is... They've been on a very exciting date and they're at the doorway yeah and is are they gonna go inside is she gonna ask him is he gonna
2: ask her she's like hey uh you want a cup of coffee and he's like oh no it'll keep me up and he walks away
0: coffee's not coffee coffee is sex i want to know more about this decision for anton mount to put his hand up on the door the entire time (laughs) i thought that was such an unusual pose Yeah, but it's like a high school boy
2: kicking it to a girl at the lockers, you know?
0: This is my point. It's like a forced casualness that a nervous person can sometimes tend toward, right? Yeah. And I'm projecting myself as being cool, but I'm really a little bit nervous for what's about to happen.
2: Yeah. Is this going down? Are we we in? Are we out?
0: It's nervous burlesque is what it is. And uh, it doesn't take long for Pike to get invited in. You could come in with
1: me instead yeah
2: they start smooching we cut to a shot of the enterprise going into a wormhole (laughs) (laughs) and uh really waiting longer than you'd
0: think in order to fire the phasers like the wormhole i mean is it a wormhole or is it a pulsar whatever it is it's glowing and shooting
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh really embarrassing when you think you're Flying your ship into a wormhole and you accidentally fly into the pulsar.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wish there was a more suggestive elliptical edit. As it is, it's just an elliptical sexual edit until later. And, uh, Laura has got that bed that you usually only encounter in a honeymoon suite and it's not pushed up against a wall.
2: Yeah, just right out in the middle.
0: Do you think you could sleep in a bed that was in the middle of a room? Oh, man. I feel like there's something inherently like instinctual about human beings needing a wall behind their heads.
2: Yeah. Feng shui like totally forbids this kind of, kind of shit.
0: But maybe that's what that bed is for. That bed isn't for sleeping, Ben.
2: It's almost, I mean, like when it's a round bed and it's pulled away from the wall, it almost has an arena vibe like a, <laughs> a, a, a theater in the round. Yeah. <laughs> Gather as Alora and Pike do diplomacy.
0: <laughs> alora has got a latex spiky bird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she got the D that she wanted. Pike opens up a little bit about the accident that he's in for in the future.
0: I don't know, Pike. This kind of throws cold water in the middle of this hot bed, right? Yeah. Maybe try not to steer the conversation into traumatic death vision. Sometimes a refractory
2: period be like that, though.
0: You know, when you uh, hit the button on your rubber spiky bird to turn it off or to change its vibration settings, uh, it did make a beep that (laughs) was a little familiar to me in a way I'm about to tell you. Yeah.
2: So the tantalizing promise that she makes is like, hey, if you come live post the accident, if you come live like us. There's really no medical problem that we can't solve here on Magellus, So, you know, just uh, something to think about for the future.
0: This was really interesting to me because at first I was like, there is no fucking way Pike is going to take her up on this deal. But then I thought about the very first episode this season and I was like, Pike was super content to live in Kirk's cabin making Katerian eggs and fucking the stray captain that wandered through every once in a while. Like, he doesn't need this shit. He would totally yeah. take her up on that offer.
2: I think so. Yeah. Until he finds out the disgusting truth. But yeah. he hasn't found that out yet.
0: He needs that rubber spiky bird to have a like a clicker for quiet mode. Like no beeps. Right.
2: Yeah. That's a condition of his sexual attendance. Yeah. Up on the ship, Ahura has finished her assignment and she has translated all of those computer chips. And not only that. She's like in the middle of explaining what she's done. And La'an is like, so you did basically the bare minimum. And she's like, I, I hadn't like ended the sentence. i i I'd ended the clause. What are you doing? God. I'm in the middle of talking you through all the discoveries I made. What about what I'm saying led you to believe that I had concluded my thoughts?
0: La'an has some personal character flaws that are a little too familiar to me. <laughs> In a way that, in totality, started to make me feel a little bad.
2: (laughs) So what they've discovered is a big deal, but it's kind of only implied in this scene. We don't get to find out about it until later.
0: But La'an is doing that good manager thing where she's like, hey, I'm not going to bring this to the captain. This is your great thing. Yeah. I'm going to share the credit with you. It's your work. You should present
1: it. You know, that's exactly what I've been telling him. Thank God he's fine listening to me.
2: Do you think that that's just La'an, like, kind of undoing the bad thing that she did earlier? <sighs> Maybe, but I also think there is a quality to this show
0: that sort of thrusts Ahura into the middle of it and makes this show kind of her story, like, in a through-line yeah. kind of way. We're, we're meeting all the characters through Ahura. We're learning about the different jobs on the ship through her.
2: She's kind of our proxy.
0: yeah yeah Uh, that's a really great point back in six bay mabenga hears the sound of children laughing which is a sound very foreign to (laughs) six bay to him and behind a door he finds his daughter playing with the first servant they're playing noble gas hopscotch
2: yeah
1: sorry i hope you're not mad
2: it's cool that he made an invention we're lucky he didn't make an invention that creates a force field and then get super drunk
0: (laughs) how did you do that Hey, Mabenga, you're kind of cultivating a reputation for being a little bit of a stern father. Yeah. Because he brought an entire bowl of waffles into this area and, like, does not give any of the waffles to the kids. Are those his waffles? Madam, we
2: must have waffles. Those
0: waffles for you? Are those special medical waffles?
2: (laughs) We must all have waffles forthwith. It's a touching scene. The little daughter is, like... You know, sad to have to stop because she was having fun, but I guess she's not allowed to exert herself given the condition that she has.
0: It feels very sad. Yeah. When Mabanga has to beam his daughter away. And then Mabanga does that thing where he tells a kid to keep a
2: secret for him when Kamal enters and Pulling in a kid into the like <laughs> cone of secrecy is risky as fuck. Boy oh boy. Do we have a drop for that? <laughs> and what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Yeah. Kamala's mad that the first servant was snooping, so he walks out, and uh, when Pike returns to the bridge, he's like getting the info from O'Hora about what these computer chips represent. They're from Prospect 7, which is the colony mentioned before, but it's not an alien colony. It's actually a Magellan colony. So they were lying the whole time, and that's when they're interrupted by Mabenga saying that Kamal and the kiddo have marched out of Six Bay and are trying to go back to the planet. I feel like
0: Pike's skepticism as a quality of his character is a part of a bunch of different scenes, right? He's skeptical about how the Magellans live their lives. He's also very skeptical about the evidence being presented to him about these prospect seven people and the excuses that uh laura has given him about what happened during the space battle from earlier like things aren't adding up and a lot of different people are trying to tell pike that she's not good for him (laughs) and he's like you you don't know her like
2: i do yeah
0: it's fine yeah i saved her from a pulsar you guys
2: she makes great coffee yeah. There must be a reasonable explanation for this. So, uh, so yeah, they march down to the transporter room and are saying, like, we're not beaming you away when they beam away. And it's just kind of a surprise beam out. And then just Kamal surprise beams back. Yeah. And it seems pretty clear that the kid has been abducted.
0: Yeah. Pike and Lieutenant Kyle really get into it, which kind of supports the Lieutenant Kyle is a son of a bitch kind of <laughs> <laughs> theory that's floating around the
2: ship, right? Yeah, yeah, Kyle making a lot of excuses, uh-huh. not seeing a lot of uh, solutions. Who told you you could be in the mouse?:
1: uh, No, it wasn't me, Captain. Someone else must have locked onto their signals while our shields were down.
0: Where did the kid go, Ben? He went to the combat ship that they just picked up outside. Yeah. Where'd that guy come from?
2: Sneaky little fucker. Yeah. And finally, the ship demonstrates that it does, in fact, have a tractor beam. They, they tractor onto this ship, trying to stop it getting away. But the ship goes to warp and uh, Lieutenant Mitchell.
1: Now, Mitchell, she fucks up.
2: And that ship blows up. It blows big. And uh, that seems like the little kiddo that they were abducting on that ship is dead. And we do one of our classic cut around the bridges in Star Trek. First to Lieutenant Mitchell, whose fault Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. But then. You know, a a bunch of other people and finally Elder Kamal who is just swimming. He is like completely stunned that this has happened.
0: Yeah, he's feeling it. We cut directly into commercial and out of commercial for the aftermath where Pike is trying to soothe uh, Laura. But he doesn't really have the tools to empathize because he doesn't understand
2: nobody's really explained what this kid's deal is like it's sort of been implied that he's like going to be some kind of political figure is all you can surmise at this point
0: but there's like a magical space kid quality to him too like there's a spiritual element yeah injected here that i think is the reason for pike's i don't want to say insincerity but there's something about how he tries to comfort uh laura that feels just Like he's not really giving it all of the energy. It's
1: a tragedy and I understand the symbolic significance, but you don't understand.
2: It's not adequate because it's like, it seems like a sad tragedy to him, but to her, it's like our whole fucking society is gonna fall apart now because of your fuck up.
0: Right, and no one knew the stakes because she's like, you don't understand, Cloud City, the floor is lava underneath Cloud City and we're all about to fall off the couch. And Pike is like, are you taking this call from
2: your bedroom? (laughs) Yeah. She's like, yeah, it's the one set we have here. It's that an antebellum staircase.
0: (laughs) Kamal is not permitted to grieve very long because he's pulled into a ready room where uh, Ahura's accusations are leveled at him personally, that he was involved in the transport from earlier. It wasn't Lieutenant Kyle at all. No. Lieutenant Kyle should be at this meeting, by the way.
2: Yeah, getting exonerated. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty good at managing subordinates, just for the record. And they're like, "Mm." Lieutenant
0: Kyle's such an asshole that no one's interested in making him feel better. (laughs) You know what? Just let him stew on this for a while.
2: Yeah. So what happened was Kamal used the sensors in Six Bay to get transporter patterns for himself and the kid. So it seems like he was involved in the kid jacking.
0: Oh, I don't like that term.
2: It's when you hijack a kid.
0: Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) Why? Where'd your mind go, Adam? Nowhere. Oh, okay. Good. (laughs) The interrogation feels like it is leading to Kamal explaining a bunch of crucial information that will help them understand what's going on. Right. When Spock radios in to interrupt and... uh, uh, (laughs) Man... (laughs) It's one of those script moments where you're just like, mm, didn't work. Seemed like that was more important than whatever Spock was doing. Yeah. Like what Spock's doing is important, but we need context. Like the the last phone call we had with uh Laura was so confusing. Let's get this guy's perspective on what's going on. Yeah. This is cut for us. Yeah.
0: To uh, obscure what's happening.
2: What Spock has discovered is that there is a subspace frequency using this kid's ham radio license. And... uh they are down in a hallway that seems to have like become overflow for cargo. Like, they, Maybe they don't have a good cargo bay set yet on the show, so they're just throwing cargo pods into a hallway. Yeah, they really need to tidy up this area of the ship. They do. Um, they find a cargo pod and open it up, and there is... The first servant who's created his own LoJack, and he's like,
1: "I need to get to the ascension.
0: The
2: party is starting. I need to be there. It's very, very important."
0: Yeah. When we see the party, we can kind of understand why it is off the hook.
2: Yeah, these people really know how to cut loose. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a there's a smoke show.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of like waving and confetti and uh, fronds, fronds <laughs> of all different descriptions yeah it is really a science fiction party in that way where do you think all these costumes come from like is this like ren Faire costumes that they like added some beeps and boops to to make look a little bit spacey sure
0: seems that way
2: they didn't make all of these right they must be renting them in
0: you'd think but so many people are shot wide you know yeah, like you don't yeah. get details on a lot of it it could be like halloween costume amount of detail up close
2: yeah It's uh, definitely like some digital crowd creation in the wide shots. So, yeah, the conversation between Pike and uh, Laura in the crowd is a little bit icy. You still haven't explained how the fate of your
1: planet could rest on the head of this child. It's complicated.
2: He is starting to get a little bit preoccupied with all of the remaining unanswered mysteries about why this kid is so important to the ongoing existence of their society and, you know, why Kamal seems to have been in league with the people that wanted to steal him when he was the primary caretaker of this kid. All of these questions remain unanswered at this point. And it almost seems like he's going to, like, ruin the party the way he's asking her them.
0: Yeah. You don't want to go into the ascension with this kind of energy, right? No. You won't be able to ascend when you're preoccupied. Yeah. I mean, the best you could probably do is like a quarter or a half ascension. Yeah. You got to rely on other things.
2: The uh, officiant says, if there's anybody here with any reason that this child should not ascend, speak now or forever hold your peace. Pike starts talking and everyone's like, dude, come on. They never actually mean that. I feel like they set up Pike to say
0: thanks, but no thanks. But then the littlest ascender invites pike personally i
2: want you to be there when i said
0: he's like oh what am i gonna do like i can't say no to him
2: yeah he gets invited to the holy of holies and this is like happening while we're cutting back up to the ship and una is interrogating kamal in the brig and kamal is explaining that like he was doing this to save the life of his child
0: yeah yeah and the spine tingler that spock found was a device used to make the kid unsuitable for his duties. So it was like kind of a brain melter or would it have taken the the implants out? What do you, yeah, what I, was your take about what it was meant to do?
2: I think the implants have something to do with the interface that we see later. So yeah. this thing would have like wrecked the implant in a way that would have, you know, made them have to find a different kid. Yeah. We're down in the chamber, the Holy chamber. Una can't, Get on the radio to Pike because there's some kind of scattering field. No way to beam down.
1: You're saying there's no way to contact the captain exactly when I need to talk to him?
2: Yeah, that's suspicious, right? Yeah. At this exact moment? Yeah,
0: weird. These ascension caves, Ben, need better cable management. I saw all these glowing cables around and I'm like, hmm. you got to wind those out properly. You got to put some of those, uh,
2: those bridges over the top so they don't trip. Looks like what happens after my wife unplugs our car. <laughs> Maybe tape them down. <laughs> coil it up it's not that
0: hard yeah (laughs) yeah and then the creepy stuff starts yeah
2: it's just like pictures in a book candy it isn't real they start carrying away the previous kid (laughs) who we get a close-up of dead kid face in this episode that i could have done without personally
0: (laughs) why was the dead kid so strange looking like he didn't even look like he was of the same species as the Lillist Descender.
2: I mean it looked like a famine photo, you know.
0: Oh, oh
2: right, like like the sunken cheeks and the
0: Yeah. Like he was drained.
2: Yeah. I mean it was it was it was really upsetting. The music is straight
0: out of conspiracy and the expression the pike has is straight out of conspiracy. Like it is <laughs> it is horror faces. Yeah. And even like the Lillist Descender has a moment here where he's like, oh, this is actually going to be pretty shitty for me. Oh my
1: God.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it seems like the kid knows what he's in for, but this is like...
0: But not to the extent where he asks Pike for help. Like, Pike's instinct to help is not motivated by him begging for it.
2: No, like this kid is known and it's just seeing the practical upshot of it for the first time that is giving him pause. But he like walks up and gets on the clip show throne by himself
0: they don't even clean the throne before this kid gets on it i that was the thing that grossed me out ben
2: yeah it's kind of rusty looking Ugh. so he gets in it and like pike is star trek fighting these honor guards while the clip show device connects to the kid
0: all the headbutts in the world can't free the littlest descender from his fate
2: yeah and uh pike runs up there to try and get him out of it but he gets ko'd by you know one of these bow staffs to the head yeah and he wakes up with uh laura looking over him in her weird round bed and he's like really not a hospital (laughs) (laughs) what do you not do in here (laughs) i'm almost
0: positive that you shouldn't have let me fall asleep (laughs) it's kind of like the number one rule of head injuries
2: yeah yeah
0: uh there is quite a sense of helplessness here and it's not just because the guards are outside the door it's that the ascension is happening and it's complete and there's really nothing that pike could do even if he could get into the chamber unplugging the kid would kill him
2: yeah so what we've understood now is that the kid is some kind of child's brain-based energy system that keeps all the buildings floating above all the acid and lava on the surface of their planet they would love to do this without murdering a child every time but uh, that's just how they gotta do it
1: without him Majalis could not be you plugged a kid into a machine
0: she kind of makes the case for the needs of the many at pike here in a way that made me wonder how differently spock would have interpreted her words in that same position you know like there is horror here at this realization but what is also horrible about this scene is how uh laura doesn't really know how things work and no one does all they know is that they need to keep doing this so that they don't fall into the lava
2: and that's maybe the most horrible fact of all their ancestors created this system and they just are stuck with it Right, it's entering the code and Lost.
0: Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? You don't know why you're doing it, you just know you need to do it.
2: Yeah, they get into a part of the conversation where she's like, can you honestly say that no child suffers for the benefit of the Federation? And I was like, isn't that kind of the point of the Federation? Is that like, it's... You
0: try to stop it. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I... That's the difference.
0: It's the effort.
2: She's like, hey, you know, like, at least we're honest. It's kind of her, her rationalization. And Pike is like, we're not, like, happy that kids are suffering. We're not looking the other way. Like, the Federation is about, like, reducing suffering. That's, like, one of its primary goals.
0: I think one of the strengths of this episode is its anti-conclusions, right? Yeah. Because Pike basically hangs up on her in real life by beaming away. And then we get a button in Six Bay where Kamal is like, hey, you know, before I go to Prospect 7, I'm going to hip you to a few of the medical advancements that our people have come up with. And maybe you can use this on the girl in the transport buffer. And that is as close as we get to a positive feeling resolution, because the real final scene in the episode is in Pike's quarters where he's having a brown liquor and window kind of night. And there's no brass instruments here and there's no dialogue it's just a guy alone looking out a window and this is how the episode ends without resolution without rescued kid I want to know if we're hanging off of a cliff is this a cliffhanger or is this how the story ends here
2: is the first servant a cliff kid
0: yeah yeah I don't need to wait until the next episode for an answer to this question Ben did you like this
1: episode
2: There's a lot I liked about this episode. I feel like this might be a tough review to summarize because I do feel really complicated about this episode and I feel like good art will, you know, evoke that kind of reaction in the viewer. But there are definitely very uneven parts of the script and a lot of like, hey, this guy didn't say this one thing in this scene. <laughs> like the uh, the rhetorical equivalent of clickbait where it's like if you knew this one thing, mm-hmm. the episode would go super differently. Right. And I mean I understand why the Magellans are secretive about the way their Paradise Planet works, but Secret yet prideful. Secret secretive yet prideful, yeah. Like another thing that I sort of wish had been given voice to in that final scene between uh, Laura and Pike, he could have just said like if you're so sure that this is the best way to run your planet, why has it been this huge fucking secret from the rest of the galaxy forever? Like, <laughs> I have to go back and tell Starfleet how you guys roll now, and that was not what you wanted initially. Yeah. So I I ship Prospect 7 becoming members of the Federation. That would be great. Mm. But yeah, it's going to take a while for me to like know my full opinion on this one because I I feel like there were some really strong themes and I love an episode taking a swing at an ending as sad and ambiguous as this but I also I feel like it fell short of voicing some of the interesting ideas it implies Hmm. which is unfortunate
0: Hmm. I think for my part I appreciated in centering Pike in the story I think he's uniquely able to, like, demonstrate a lot of mixed emotions about his circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, like, he was a very good vessel for that in the story. Like, he is a very feeling captain. And so we feel it when it's good or exciting or horrifying the entire ep in a really useful way. I think it should be more common that alien cultures are just fucking confusing, yeah. And the conclusions we draw about experiencing those cultures are messy and incomplete. And maybe this could be totally wrong by the time we neatly tie up this story in the next episode or not. But I like how this episode ended with it kind of hanging, like someone thinking about how fucked up their day was, not really knowing what is going to happen next. Feeling powerless about the situation and how to fix it or save some lives, if that were possible to do. Feeling double-crossed by a lady friend he thought he was on the level with, but isn't. Like, I love the ball of conflict at the very end and the very last frame of this one. And it feels like it should be more commonplace to not understand a culture from a different civilization. And in a way that that was as alien feeling as this episode made it seem. Like you think you know why they're they're not giving you the whole story, but like you have no idea. <laughs> and by the time you do know, like you're gonna wish you didn't.
2: Yeah, true.
0: And so in that way, I thought it was just like a good science fiction story uh, told in the Star Trek universe. It felt like that. It felt like a book you might've read.
2: Yeah. B- before. Probably. I probably read it, but I forgot it. Yeah. Adam, do you want to see if there's anything memorable in the Priority One inbox? I hope so.
1: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured channel.
2: Our first Priority One message is from Cage Prime and also Nancy, and it's to Zed. Yo, dude! Remember driving up to that shitty job in Roseville way back in 2016, and I was like, hey, I've been listening to this dick and fart joke Star Trek podcast, and played the Best of Both Worlds episode for you. And here we are now. Happy birthday, man. I'm looking forward to going to the Double Dumbass Tour at Sketchfest 2023 with you. Wow. Cool. Cage, Prime, and Zed rolling through to the Sketchfest show. We got coming up in February. We'll see you there. There
0: may or may not be four tickets left to that show. Like As far (laughs) as I know, that show is permanently sold out, but... Maybe they'll move it into a bigger venue and just keep
2: selling them. Who knows? Yeah. Keep your eyes on it.
0: Let's just double up cobs. That place
2: rules. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, thank you for putting the word out also, Cage Prime. uh, That is really great. It's double duty. And thanks for coming over here to uh, Greatest Discovery while you were at it.
0: Yeah. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Matt in West Virginia. It's to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam... You're going to a conference, knowing what always happens. I'm curious, what kind of Star Trek conference is worth that risk to each of you? In what ship do you travel there, and with what Star Trek weapon do you strap up in advance of the inevitable (laughs) Dustbuster battle? Wow. Love, your friendly fed, who thinks about these things, Matt. Oh, we know Matt in West Virginia.
2: Yeah, Matt is a... uh... Friendly Fed in West Virginia who's given us some, uh, some patches and challenge coins in the past. Great friend of DeSoto. I think that if I was going to a Star Trek conference, I would definitely not want it to be a peace conference at Kittimer. <laughs>
0: Ruling that one out, huh?
2: I don't know what like the opposite end of the spectrum is in terms of conferences in Star Trek, but peace conference at Kittimer seems like real fucked up. Yeah. You know, they're all fucked up, but I'm trying to run in the opposite direction of that.
0: So much so that it's like a metaphorical shorthand for a fucked up situation. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, date started off great. And then I went back to her place and it was a real peace conference at Kittimer kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you mean it ended with a slow clap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
0: it ended somehow with me jumping off of a springboard into another person.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess the ship I want to take is the USS Hood because I always want to be on the USS mm. Hood. And if I'm going strapped, I'm taking Wide Beam Dustbuster. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. When you absolutely have to stun every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes.
0: I mean, knowing how dangerous conferences are, I think I would become even more of a homebody than I usually am. I wouldn't (laughs) go to many, which means the one conference I would go to would have to be fucking great. It would have to be in the best place we'd ever heard of. The place with the most fun reputation. It'd have to be Risa for me. Wow. Conference on Risa would be the only draw. Uh, The Hood is the right answer. The Hood's the only answer,
2: really. only answer there is.
0: Yeah. And then uh, the weapon that I strap up with, God,
2: I don't know. Pike's phaser with the leather. I mean, if you're going to a Ryza, the weapon you need is a Horgon, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a melee weapon. (laughs) Horgon as melee weapon is the answer to that question. So there you go.
2: I I dig it. Wow. Well, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did
0: you discover yourself in Edward Larkin?
2: Larkin. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to Una Chin Riley for that eyes acting that she does in the scene when uh, Laura first beams up. She was just, she was really cracking me up in this episode. I feel like she gets a lot to do in this episode despite being probably like, Fifth or sixth on the call sheet for it. You know, she's, like, got fewer things to do than Ahura or any of the extras or Pike, but she does a lot, and there's such a funny dynamic when your captain and first officer are, you know, presumed straight and both beautiful people of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, like, clearly do not have a romantic element to their relationship. It's It's all... Right. Business between them, and so she just gets to be a fly on the wall when Pike turns into a stuttering middle schooler in front of a beautiful babe. <laughs> and uh, I thought she just made that scene so fun and and so much more interesting to watch. You know, yeah, yeah. So that's my Edward Larkin.
0: My Edward Larkin is the scene partner there. It's going to be Captain Pike. Wow, I think it's hard not to ham and cheese up a scene like this yeah, and I don't think Anson Mount does I think it is he is plausibly awkward here in a really fun way true in a way that's effective in a way that like it's got to be so easy to be so cheese (laughs) and it and it just isn't it works it works in a number of scenes and it's not just this one yeah I thought it was great up to and including the bedroom scene where Captain Pike joins the uh, Jim Shimoda group clearly Mm -hmm. first shirt off (laughs) scene for anton mount
2: looking good
0: super fucking jacked yeah if we meet up with anton mount again i need to bring him a jim shimoto shirt
2: that would be great as a gift that would be really fun
0: yeah he'd probably cut the sleeves off or something
2: (laughs) as is his right yeah wow well i'm sure we'll hear more about the next episode in credits to this episode they have been really good about getting us screeners so far so uh Let's throw to the credits and uh, get out of here. What do you say, Adam? Oh, I already left. I had to come back to the mic just to say that. Jesus. You really just hated every minute of being on mic with me, didn't you? Not at all. Another great episode. Oh, okay. All right. Well, bye, everybody. Maybe the best we've ever done. Oh, cool. Great. (laughs) Damning with faint praise.
1: The next episode of Strange New Worlds is called The Serene Squall. While on a dangerous humanitarian mission, the USS Enterprise stumbles into a harrowing game of leverage with the Quadrant's deadliest space pirate. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Big thanks to Adam Ragusia, who composed all of the original music that you hear on this show. We recommend that you check out both his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel. And thank you to Bill Tilly, who does a great job with all of the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek. And use the hashtag Greatest Discovery when you post about the show online. You can support the ongoing production of these shows with a monthly gift at MaximumFun.org slash join. And we really appreciate everybody who's already doing that. You can also rate or review the show or even just recommend it to someone who you think might enjoy it. That really helps us grow. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery.